You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, we're we're getting into November now, so we're getting really into are, the yeah. good holiday, like the the one where I get to eat a lot. Yes, yes. It's do we do we soon. know yet what the what the Hester clan plan is for for no. holidaying? No. Clay, do you want to buy a house in Colorado? Do I want to buy a house? Well, I just bought a house a couple years ago, so I think I'm gonna. So you're up for a new for one. Bit. Am I up for a new one? Oh. <laughs> Well, I do love Colorado. I love the Rockies. Uh, I've only been there one time, but sounds good. We'll see you soon. <laughs> so it all depends on if Clay buys the house or not at this point, Tracy. So we'll see. Okay. Well, I mean, no pressure. It's 100% writing on you. So yeah. All right. Mortgage rates are what? At like 7% now? Seems like an yeah, excellent totally time to, uh, to buy a house. That's yeah. That's what's hurting. That's what's hurting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the, the voice we're hearing right there, uh, since we, we've kind of dove right into the thick of it with uh, expecting Clay Harmon to fix all of uh, Patrick's uh, real estate woes at this point, is Clay Harmon. Um, so Clay and I know each other because we are, I guess the ter- I guess we're like agency cousins, like not agency siblings, but we're like, you know, like agency steps. Like it's it's like that. Um, yeah, I would say so. You're represented by Bridget, right? Or Bridget Smith, and you're represented okay. by Joshua, Joshua Blimes, who of course is the jab who lends his name to Jabberwocky Literary. And yep. your debut novel, Flames of Mira, came out in July. So congratulations. Thank you so much. It's uh, been a pretty exciting summer. Uh, things have calmed down. I'm still doing some signings here in Utah. Um, and yeah. then there's a, a convention called Dragonsteel that's happening uh, in November that I'll be doing uh, a panel on. So, Oh, wow. Really I don't know Dragonsteel. It's actually uh, Brandon Sanderson's own convention. Oh, he's, wow. uh, he's that big these days. He's uh, running yeah. his own conventions now. So Dragonsteel... <laughs> The yeah, sad thing, though, is he runs it out of his garage. So you're all <laughs> going to have to pack into the garage. There. I actually, uh, I, he ran it for the first time last year, and I think there were probably like 2,000 people there. Um, and yeah, yeah. I think it, there's going to be about 5,000 this year. It reminds I mean, his me garage a bit of is packs. actually an aircraft hangar, um, <laughs> and he also ran a Kickstarter for the garage. And so now he's, he's going to buy seven more aircraft hangars. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Man. <laughs> That plus, guy is, plus, is plus going, three going secret, places. Plus three secret hangers as well. So Yeah, one of them is called Area 51, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have this thing where uh, I used to, uh, when Star Trek The Next Generation was on TV and DS9 and stuff like that, I used to cling on eyes every, everything that I would say. So like my mom was from Paducah and I would say Paducah. Uh, and, and I would always say Utah instead of Utah. Utah. I don't know so, why. That sounded Klingon to me. So I'm this sure generation, it's uh, it's Game of Thrones. The uh, yeah. what's the language? The the, uh, the Dothraki, right? The Dothraki. So yeah. last generation, it was uh, the Klingon. This generation, it's the the Dothraki. <laughs> Everything's Dothraki. Yeah. I got I, I got to feel on a certain level that like you you must have a mildly fraught relationship to the Song of Ice and Fire thing because of the elemental leanings of Flames of Mira, right? And so I, I can't imagine I'm the first person to have or, ever brought or, that up. hold on, hold on. I mean, Whoa. there's a lot of elemental stuff in the Sanderson books as well. True, so he's true. right there in Utah. I mean, you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a, I got all sorts of competition, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the the whole, you know, coming up with a tagline for Flames of Mira because it's, it's set in this world of um, where the surface is kind of frozen over and there's a lot of like underground volcanic activity that the characters are dealing with in the world is set in. Um, and I think that's hot. Yeah, I, I agree. Oh, man. 
Patrick Louise. That's like record time. We're like five minutes into the episode there. Jesus. <laughs> You're a punny dude. Punny dude. I am, yes. Yeah, but it seems like this contrast is just something that people kind of gravitate toward. But coming up with a tagline or kind of a way to pitch the book without sounding like a, you know, a ripoff of the whole Game of Thrones thing. I mean, the, sh- the two shared no similarities no, at all. No, really, they don't. They don't. But when, yeah, but when you use the, you know, words ice and fire and all of that, you know, it kind of conjures up a very, the same image Marketing. for everyone. Marketing lives in a very reductive space, you know, and so yeah. that's um, marketing that- wants marketing wants to draw those lines together. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can pitch your book in, in one yes. sentence, that's that's golden. Yeah. And if it and if it evokes the memories of something else that you've read or something else that's, that's out there, they totally want to do that. That's why they always do. You know, it's it's Twilight meets uh, sure like sure. like Voltron. Right, yeah. they, they put these two things together to try to describe the whole thing. Yeah, kind of nostalgia without the uh, the cliched aspects yeah. of it. It's kind of a, the perfect balance. Yeah. So we've got these a really kind of intense geographical and geological element operating in Flames of Mira, and so I gotta walk this back to like, where does an idea like this come from for you? Oh man. I mean, <laughs> he's he's literally rubbing his forehead right now. This is well, what's, this is what's great about video. Well, the thing is, is about Flames of Mira. It was, I think, my sixth manuscript I wrote um, mm-hmm. before I was able to get representation. Uh, by the time when I was coming up with an idea, I was trying to think, how do I come up with something that no one else has done before? Because at that point, it was like, what do I have to do to get capture an agent's attention? So mm-hmm. the. Uh, the kind of the first ideas that I, came about with I, this story. What's I, I'm up? sorry, but I can tell you that uh, when you, what do you do to get an agent's intention? I can, I can say with certainty, streaking the Hugos is not the way to do it. So is it? Please. <laughs> the, the wrong, the wrong sort of attention. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I actually, I met Joshua at uh, at a convention where he had already requested like the first fifty pages of my book, nice. so he seemed to like. There were the thing is, is that. When I pitched it to him, I did pitch it with kind of uh, the uh, mislight, uh, Brandon mm-hmm. Sanderson's mislight, um, yeah. because there's a lot of it's a very rules based magic system. Um, as you guys mentioned, it's based off of the elements, but it's the elements of the periodic table, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't seen a lot of people do. So it's kind of a science based magic where you bind with individual elements, and the more elements you're bound to, you can control the compounds those elements are comprised of. So that was one like unique element that I came up with to kind of put into this book as I was drafting it, and then also trying to trying to come up with a world that no one had seen before. So uh, I try to put. I don't like the idea of hand waving. Uh, as I write more, I kind of do more hand waving because not hand waving is, is very difficult. So <laughs> yeah. when it came to coming up with the world, I thought to myself, I'm going to research random like galaxies or random solar systems and whatever system I see that catches my eye, I'm going to build a world based off of that. So the world of flames of mirror is actually inspired by an actual binary star system where these two um, stars are orbiting each other very close together. And I kind of conjured up this image of this fictional planet that was orbiting one of them that was tidally locked. So one side is always facing the star and the other side is always facing away. And mm-hmm. so the story takes place on the, the far side where the it's all frozen over and the cities are built out of these, you know, massive sinkholes. 
where there's lots of volcanic activity and to get from one to another, um, you have to kind of go through this vast subterranean network that's kind of full of life and, and all of this and that and, and towns and whatnot. So that's kind of where the idea started and it kind of just came out from there. Yeah, I think, that's cool. I think when authors working in fantasy talk about the origins of their ideas, one of the things that becomes clear is for many of them, there's much more research of real things involved in the process of coming up with the idea that allows you to depart from reality, perhaps as completely as you could possibly imagine. But it, it has to begin with some kind of like kernel of attachment to some some real piece of information. Um, and so yeah, the, the idea, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's uh, that's kind of so. My uh, a film agent actually contacted uh, Joshua about you know pitching my book, mm-hmm. and when I had a phone call with him, he said one of the things about the story that he really liked was how grounded it felt, which really surprised me because when you look at the setting, it seems the complete opposite of grounding. But like, this is bonkers. Like there's yeah. there's ice on one <laughs> side and everything's on fire on the other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But when it came to kind of the minutia of of the world and all of the details of the settings, there was just so much research that went in, uh, that went into it to make it feel mm-hmm. real. Um, I think that's what the 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 film agent really liked about it is that it didn't feel kind of this completely detached from reality or anything like that. There was a lot of yeah of that yeah. grounding that you mentioned. I well, think one yeah, of the other that 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 means they have a lower budget because they don't have to do all this this side. You know, that's actually that's one thing that he mentioned as well is the fact that it's all underground. Everything's kind of yep. closed, uh, kind of closed spaces, and so yep. you don't have to have these grand vistas, you know, with a CGI budget that yeah is astronomical yeah. or anything like that. You don't have to go to to, to New Zealand to film everything. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah, but the other reality of it Although is, though you the, should. I'm sorry, Tracy, but yeah, okay, you yeah. should. Yes, they tell them that you must. Yes. Is, uh, yeah. You personally go fishing with Aragorn. Go to, Sign me up. Yeah, yeah. Above you that. need to go and get okay. in touch with Rohan. Um, go, go check out. Go check out season two of Rings of Power and, and report back to us. You know, <laughs> I have yet to watch Rings of Power. I've been uh, watching. I enjoyed uh, it. House I of the Dragon. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it because I I didn't uh, I so I'm I'm not a Game of Thrones person. Like I I watched the first episode of that new series just to see. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen the first season of Game of Thrones, and then that's when I basically quit. But uh, I enjoyed Rings of Power, and I was telling someone I, I've never, I never got through the Silmarillion. So mm-hmm. I, I'm has not, anyone? Yes, <laughs> apparently there are people who have who have finished the Christopher book, Tolkien read it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know this because there's tons of videos out there going, "Oh, this is this person, this is that, and this is blah 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 blah." blah. But uh, I enjoyed it because it did. I'm not like bogged down with a bunch of stuff, like a bunch mm-hmm. of preconceived notions. So I enjoyed it. But anyway, I, I I mean, Game of Thrones kind of has the equivalent. You know, when I was watching House of the Dragon, I had this urge to, which was a mistake, to look up the family trees that that George R. R. Martin had made, and it kind of yeah. spoiled a lot of the plot points <laughs> for the show. So that was I regretted that. Well, don't worry too much about that. I'm sure that they're not going to follow actual plot points. And they're just going to go off in their own direction. So, I mean, even if it was spoiled, it was, it's actually an excellent show. I I enjoyed it a lot. I don't. I haven't met many people that have watched both Rings of Power mm-hmm. and uh, House of the Dragon. It seems it's always. I one only or the saw other. the first episode. I only saw mm-hmm. the first episode. Um, yeah. And the problem is that I'm not. I'm not huge into that. Like mm-hmm. I liked the books uh, when he was still publishing them. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't like. I, I have a thing about violence against women, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of that in, in yeah. that series and, and throughout yeah. that stuff. And yeah. so I, it's not my jam. Totally fair. 
it's, but I know it's other nice. People- Yeah, it's nice that we live in a time where you can have these major media franchises that kind of cater to subsets in the epic fantasy community. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, it was kind of Lord of the Rings or kind of this big blockbuster that was just kind of one size fits all. But now we're kind of in this golden age of of sci-fi fantasy where you've got, you know, fantasy nerds that don't even watch the same same yeah. TV shows. It's it's well, great. Yeah, I love it. I will also throw out that Thrones was was really good for bringing in uh, uh, muggles, right? People people who are not part of the the sci fi and fantasy community. People uh, who are just HBO watchers, like people. Mm-hmm. I, I always go back to my boss at the time when I was in the marketing department. I'm 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 no longer in marketing. I'm in a recovery program. But uh, <laughs> there was a that um, had a boss at the time who was not into any of this stuff, but he could not stop watching Game of Thrones. Like that was his favorite thing. He Every Sunday he was sitting there watching it. So I do give that credit for bringing in people who otherwise probably wouldn't have never watched it or never known anything about it. Uh, yeah, so and hopefully, hopefully we get an indirect benefit from all of that, you know, as as yeah. creators of sci-fi fantasy, you know, more more yeah. people buying that stuff. It's hopefully. funny because I, I I never really saw the the Game of Thrones versus Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. I never saw like people watch one or the other or read one or the other. It was always people either wa- read uh, George R. R. Martin or they read Jordan. Oh yeah, oh. and those two paths didn't really cross that much because yeah. Jordan is completely different than like it doesn't have the the grit grime uh, violence of Thrones. Yeah, no, it's 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 actually interesting. You know, when you talk to other uh, writers or or readers, whenever people talk about Game of Thrones, it's always the TV show. People don't yeah. really seem to talk about the books. I mean, they're wildly popular. I've I've read all of them, um, but mm-hmm. I don't really talk about those ser- that series with with anyone. Whereas you know, it's very easy to talk about you know Jordan or or yeah. Lord of the Rings or or this and that. Isn't that funny? Well, I I think um you know not to beat that dead horse there, but one of the reasons why the conversations I think about those other series though is easier is because those series have their endpoints now, uh, um, yeah. and and. Thanks to we've Brandon. been offered. Sorry, we've been offered an endpoint, you know, through film media for the Game of Thrones saga. But I think it's it's been so generally regarded as wanting uh, by the viewership, even a, even the segment of the viewership that didn't have a relationship to the books um, and just you know got it through the television. I think there's enough dissatisfaction with that that it created an opening for House of the Dragon, that there's some sort of desire for like, can, can we have a Thrones that feels like a satisfactory resolution instead? Can you take us there? And so that, you know, creates the opportunity for another prestige television go um, at that same space. But I think the the place where Martin's novels are sitting right now are inconclusive enough with enough characters sort of like midway through literal journeys to different points that I think we've, I mean, we've had about 15 years to have those conversations at this point. And and now we, you know, we are waiting with various degrees of, of patience or rudeness um, or exasperation or, you know, whatever. But I think it fundamentally does change our feeling as consumers of it, of like, what's our role in talking about the story at this point? Yeah, uh, I guess talking about a half-finished story arc is a lot more exciting, you know, than years ago. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because uh, I I I think that uh, 
George R. R. Martin and Patrick Rothfuss are just going to buy an island somewhere and move there and just forget about the rest of us. Maybe they have already. Maybe they're working on their secret layers <laughs> as we speak. Could be. Could be. They, they, yeah. they need to get a copy of Flames of Mira and figure out their underground layer yeah. thing happening there. And here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing, Tracy. So yeah. uh, how, you said you did six manuscripts before you got something that, that you felt or that got the attention uh, of an agent, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and then you got the deal mm-hmm. and the book was published in July. Mm-hmm. So now you're now you're in the publishing you know, apparatus. So book two is due in December. Book three is due what in like April? <laughs> well, okay. So I actually, I yeah. signed a two book deal. I mm-hmm. finished writing the sequel back in like April, I would say. Nice. Uh, I'm waiting to get my edits back from my, from my uh, editor. Uh, the book is supposed to come out. Uh, there's kind of an unofficial date of July 4th of next year, mm-hmm. um, which is the same day that the paperback for Flames and Mirror is supposed to release as well. Oh, nice um, entry point. Yeah, so it's been fun. You know, people always talk about, uh, at least among uh, Asian authors, that to get a multi book deal is nice because you kind of secure, you know, work for the next you know few years and whatnot. Uh, and so now that I've reached that end point of, you know, I've written the last book I have on contract. Um, <laughs> now what? Yeah. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm working on something else right now. It's been it's been really nice, kind of departing from from that whole world of flames and mirror because it's very dark it's very gritty um Mm -hmm. it's kind of horror adjacent uh it kind of leans more into the horror elements uh in the sequel as well and i love that that type of Mm -hmm. of grittiness um but it you know living in that world for for two to three years at a time can get a little exhausting i would say yeah oh yeah for sure so so it sounds like the the sequel uh ends the story or like Closes all the endpoints for you, right? So not so necessarily. Um, I originally kind of pictured it as going beyond two books. It's sure. kind of one of those things where, as a debut author, uh, my publisher didn't, you know, want to offer a, 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 you know, a five book deal for for that. So the idea was that they would they offered a two book deal, and then we would kind of enter negotiations at some point after the first book came out, where whether they'd want to sign up future books. So. Uh, I need to talk to Joshua actually about you know starting that conversation with with my publisher. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens in the in the near future if it's going to move beyond two books. So. Awesome. There's a complicated world behind those scenes. So thinking <laughs> about you talking about the the kind of like horror adjacentness and the darkness of it, I find that really interesting because you kind of cut your teeth as a writer learning the skills through Star Wars fanfic, which I don't <laughs> typically think of as a dark or horror adjacent space with the exception of a few very specific moments in time and storylines and you know certain characters Z- and things zombie stormtroopers yeah i mean that was uh, that was 15 years ago so i've had a lot of time I, to uh, develop yeah, my I mean, taste since then. but but i am i'm always interested in authors who are are open about having worked through fanfic before because uh, I teach and a lot of my students both read and write fanfic. And it's interesting how many of them, when they talk to me about their work, get kind of weird and foot shuffly and look at the ground and be like, well, I'm writing something, but it's just fanfic now. And I'll be like, no, no, you're writing a thing. Like that's it's like the fanfic is, an, is a wonderful vehicle for mm-hmm. sort of developing skill sets because if you're not having to worry about world building, you're able to focus maybe on certain other sorts of things. 
Or if you're not having to worry about inventing a character from whole cloth, maybe you can explore other things. So I guess for you, like what what was the value of using that fan fiction space for building yourself up to eventually go on the journey as a as your own writer? Well, I mean, fan fiction uh, was something that I was really into, uh, junior high school, high school. And I used it as, a, as an emotional crutch because I was kind of that nerdy kid that people didn't want to be friends with kind of thing. I had a, had a twin, I have a twin sister and she was kind of the popular girl. Um, and so there was kind of this dichotomy of, you know, she's the person that has all the friends hanging out with all the people and I'm kind of on the sidelines, you know, trying to- How do you like live find- a YA book? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I kind of discovered this community of friends, you know, on this you know, Star Wars fan fiction site. And so I was pretty active on that site for um, probably three or four years, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that kind of really made me fall in love with with writing. And so that my taste as a writer, are, you know, completely different now. Um, mm-hmm. But starting with fan fiction really kind of built up my confidence and, and yeah. helped me find people that that love the, the things that I loved. And, you know, when I was in high school, I was very, you know, embarrassed about that. I didn't like talking about it because, you know, I thought I didn't want to be the nerd kid obsessed with Star Wars kind of thing. But uh, these days I have, I'm completely unapologetic about that stuff. I think that's just part of becoming an adult and maturing is to not feel bad for liking the things that you like because that's just part of being human. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Definitely. I think it's hugely important. Hold on, hold on. Eventually, though, you and your twin sister like hugged it out and started a garage band and became semi-famous locally in like the coffee shop scene. Or (laughs) not, not quite. She lives in Australia, so still, still waiting on that hug. Long distance hug. Yeah, long distance (laughs) hug. Yeah, Zoom hug. But I think one of the one of the cool things about the fan fiction community as well, which is kind of like embedded in what you were saying about you know finding people who were really excited about and into the things that you were into, is there. Writing can be super lonely and it can be a situation where you're creating something and you want to believe that it's good, but you don't have feedback. You don't have an audience yet. Um, and it's sort of like you talking to yourself and the, the fan fiction forum community is this automatic audience that you can just go and you can post something. And within a matter of a few days, like you have people who have read it and who are talking to you or reacting in some way. And it, helps ease that sense that not just that you're you're writing sort of in a vacuum but it gives you the experience of having an audience and responding to an audience really from the very beginning which a oh, lot of writers absolutely. yeah a lot of writers yeah. don't get that until very late in their their career yeah no it's interesting because when i first started writing you know, novels i was 18 years old and i would meet other writers and they would talk about how you know Oh yeah, I've written this, I've written that, but I, I don't want to share it because you know I don't want people to hate it. I don't know if I could take that kind of feedback, but I couldn't relate to that at all. I was totally gung ho about sharing my stuff with other writers because it didn't really bother me that much. Um, the idea of them reading my words, and it must have been just because of you know all the fan fiction I was writing before that. Um, I just got so. You grew up on the internet. You can't hurt me. That. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that really kind of inoculated me to the the idea of you know being this fragile writer, getting into it, and sure. and yeah. people may or may not liking the stuff that you write. So it's been yeah, it's been good. See, I've I've always told the story that uh, in oh sophomore year in high school, college prep English, the uh, the teacher was gone, and we had a substitute, and the substitute made us write a story. 
and it was supposed to be uh, we have uh, we have like a secret identity, and what's our secret identity? That's that was the whole prompt. And so I wrote this story about uh, my secret identity was that I had uh, I had mixed like subliminal messages into high school textbooks uh, in order to uh, brainwash uh, the kids into voting me in as president at 35. So I would rule the country and like, it was this whole story and, and I wrote it. And the next day, like the substitute comes in and, and we had to do it anonymously as well. So no name on the paper. And the next day the substitute comes in and he's going through all the stories and he holds mine up as the absolute best. Like he just absolutely loved it. He thought it was so cool. And I kind of felt good about myself. And then the next day the regular teacher was back and he held up mine as the absolute worst piece of shit that he'd ever <laughs> seen in his life. And it was complete garbage. It needed to be tossed. Like, yeah, that's, so that, uh, that's was, right. that was my first like creative writing feedback. It's like one person absolutely loved it. The other person absolutely fucking hated it. And yeah. It was terrible. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of something that I'm uh, learning. Uh, <laughs> you know, as, as someone who's a recently published author, you know, for the first time, to to meet one person who absolutely loves my book, and to meet another person that absolutely hates it, it's it's a weird thing. I now understand why people, you know, authors tell you to don't never go on, go on don't go on Goodreads, <laughs> never read the comments, <laughs> never read the comments. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I've been on there, uh, and I think. You know, before the book came out, when the arcs were going out and I was getting, you know, say a negative response to my book uh, that, you know, that bothered me at first. But I'm at the point now where it doesn't really bother me at all, because you really once you see, have enough people read it and you have enough varied reactions, you truly start to understand just how subjective this whole business is. So that's a that's a it's a hard lesson, but I feel like yeah. I've learned it. And so it's uh it's not quite so bad as it was, you know, say and six months or a year. You never, ago. you never know what uh, an individual reader is going to take away. And there's a fire truck going into my cul-de-sac. That's always fun. Uh, you never know what a reader is going to take away. Like, oh, absolutely. They're gonna, they're gonna take something away that you never intended. They're gonna read something. They're gonna connect with a character that is a side yeah. character that you totally planned on killing, and then when you kill them, they hate you for the rest of your life because, oh my God, you killed the one character that they identified with. Yeah, it's 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 weird, you know, reading a review and having the brunt of the review be focused on something that was kind of more of like an afterthought or something that you kind of just threw in yep. there because it was necessary to the story and it wasn't something that you, you know, necessarily loved. Mm -hmm. You were just, you know, writing it. Um it's 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 cool. It's a really cool thing to see, <laughs> I would say. Except when it's bad, then it's less cool. But, <laughs> yeah, then, then then it's horrible. And then we but it's still, it. Yeah, but but it's still cool in a way that 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 reading is such a such a subjective experience in that yeah like yep. you said you can take all of these things from it that you wouldn't even expect yeah oh, it's part sure. of what i love writing for yeah so i'm i'm going to take a left turn here real quick right. because i feel i feel a need to to draw a connection here so you did you did your college experience at university of california fresno hmm. um and we've got a, now, another fresno, fresno state baby Fresno yeah, State you were, University. Sorry, Fresno no State University. University. Yeah. Okay. okay, and the reason University. that I'm so quick to Go get that correction is because of our resident Fresno boy, <laughs> Patrick, over here. So, all right, oh, yeah. I, I need grew to... up. I grew up in Fresno. Really? Yeah. So I so I uh, I grew up in Oakhurst, and then I moved down to Fresno for Fresno State, and I lived there for ten years. I actually moved from there two years ago. So, yeah. How long were you there for? Oh God! So you're years. from so you're from Fresno? 
No, I was born in Chicago. Okay. And then we moved. We moved when I was like eight, uh, and then I moved uh, in '99, Christmas okay. of '99. I moved to Tennessee for a job. Oh, interesting. I was there quite a bit. I mean, I I grew up there. So okay. uh, wow. we lived. Uh, at one point, we lived near Roding Park. Uh, I went to uh, Fresno High. I went. I, I went to another school that was over by the Tower District. Oh, nice! Uh, for many, many years. Uh, at one point, I lived out where all the new stuff was, uh, out by um, River Park. River Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was out there for for many years. So yeah, I, I worked I at the Barnes Noble there. I was there when the river flooded, so that's probably before you were there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, at one point, the the river that comes through there uh, like completely flooded, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Do you know who else lived in Fresno? No. John Scalzi lived in Fresno for like oh yeah a years. we talked about that at one point didn't we like Scalzi and I I don't remember have you guys had Scalzi on the on the podcast we did. Yes. yeah it was about oh gosh maybe seven eight months ago we had him we had him on for uh, Kaiju Preservation Society oh, okay, um, awesome. so it was relatively recently yeah. Um, but yeah we've had we've had good company there in the in the tunnel uh, dwelling and tunnel focused uh, cityscape sort of thing we've also uh, had Ari Salvatore on a couple of times in the last year or two Ooh, so that's exciting um, that's yeah awesome. yeah um, weirdest thing in the world is uh, the two discoveries I made that one I'm supposed to call him Bob and second um, oh. <laughs> he has he has one of the more emphatic paisano accents I have <laughs> I have heard before. Like, yeah, uh, I listened to him on another podcast, and yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know what my brain was expecting the first time going in, but I mean, at the second time, of course, you you know, but like the first time, I just like there was a real like hard reboot that I kind of had to do. So, um, so before we move on from Fresno, I have, I have a couple <laughs> questions for Clay. Okay, uh, hit me. Do you remember the student union? Uh, Fresno where State. Could, yeah, where you could where you could shoot pool. Or you oh yeah, bowling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I shot that was, there, that, actually. Was, that was a high school kids hangout on the weekend. So oh, was when it? I was in high school, we all went there because it was cheap, right? You could you could like rent a pool table for four dollars an hour or something like that, or you could you know uh, you were uh, bowling for two bucks a two bucks a game or something like that. Uh, it's funny you say that because one of the first dates that my wife and I went on was there on the weekend. And I remember thinking to myself how, how young everyone looked there. Because it's <laughs> all high schoolers. Yeah. So, so, so all the, uh, all the Clovis West kids go there, Fresno high, San Joaquin Memorial, all the high school kids go there. Um, the second thing is this came up recently in an episode. Uh, do you remember uh, hamburgers, pizza and Chinese food? Uh, yes, I'm trying to picture the it. There's a literal restaurant called this is what yes. I have been told that it's just like, that's the name of the restaurant. Hamburgers, pizza and Chinese. It was literally food. across the street from the university, from, from the campus. I lived across the street from the university, but I'm trying to remember seeing that and I don't, I'm wondering if they're still open. And that's what I'm wondering. I don't remember, like, they were there when I was there, but I don't know if it's still there, so. In an era of legalized weed, how could they not be open? I mean, <laughs> I know, right? like, hamburgers, pizza, and Chinese food, as the name of your restaurant, exists for no other reason than however stoned and messed up you right are, there. you will still know what to expect and be able to stagger in the door and give them your filthy lucre for, <laughs> for right. what you need. Yeah. Yeah, so the last time I was in Fresno was actually for my book release because I 
as I mentioned, I worked at the Barnes and Noble there. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of my fantasy when I was working there was to someday come back and with, as a published author and be able to do my book release there. Um, and I was actually finally able to do that after 10 years and it was amazing. See, I found some family come in and it was, it was great. I think that's awesome. So congratulations. Thank but you. I will say that I've never heard someone say my fantasy was to go back to Fresno. Like I've never heard <laughs> anyone ever oh, say I was the first and I will be yeah. the last, I'm sure. Yeah. So the, you know, that's Yeah, I'm still enjoying, you know, living outside of Fresno, you know, after ten years of living there. It's kind of all I don't know what people think of when they when they hear Fresno, but it's just flat farmland, retail and fast food. That's about it. It's it's raisins. And raisins, yeah. It's raisins. Like a slice and, of the Midwest found its way into into California. Mm-hmm. And, and teri- teriyaki beef at the Fresno Fair. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't love living in Fresno, but it was nice uh, living within driving distance of all of the things that California has to offer. So that was kind of a of a bonus. Um, yeah, but the thing is, you were there. You were there originally for for school, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you just live there, like when that's just where you grow up, you never go to any of those places except on field trips. It's like we took field trips to Yosemite. We took field trips to uh, San Juan Batista and mm-hmm. to, you know, L.A. for things. And like, mm-hmm. but when you're just like, we never did anything. Uh, and maybe it was because we were we were the poor kids. Like I, I always heard the rich kids talking about like going skiing and and boating and going up to Millerton Lake and all these things. And we never did any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was living there, you know, after college and I had a, an adult job and everything. So I had yeah, some expendable yeah. income to Ooh, go and do stuff. And yeah, so I got to enjoy all the things that California had to offer and it's great. California. I, I love California, but I needed Fresno a, is needed a break. centrally located, as I mentioned yeah. before, Central Extremely. Valley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since we're since we're on the theme of making the most of where you are and optimizing stuff, picks of the week. What do we think? Sure, we can do picks of the week. Let's right. do it. Picks of the week. All right. So, Patrick, do you want to do you want to start on this one? Sure. I'm not picking Fresno. That's for sure. No, well, I mean that's but, fine. Um, maybe maybe <laughs> next time. <laughs> the only thing I will say that I do miss, and I and I say this all the time, I miss me and Ed's pizza. Me and Ed's, yes, that, that was definitely Ed's a staple pizza. as a college kid. Heck yeah. Um, yeah. I am picking a, a show that's on Disney Plus that you can actually watch in about an hour and a half. You can watch all the episodes because the episodes there's only six of them. I want to say, and they're about fifteen to twenty minutes long. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the new Tales of the Jedi. Oh. And this is written by Dave Filoni. And I, I almost feel like this was a, I don't know how he gets them to let him do stuff other than that he's just awesome and he knows all the Star Wars stuff and he does really well with it. So it's, it's, it's very, it feels very Clone Wars-y because it's mm-hmm. the same animation style. It's also focused on two characters, uh, Ahsoka mm-hmm. and Count Dooku. And you see, uh, you see different little vignettes throughout their lives. And most of it is focused uh, in, in the middle part is Dooku, and it's his, it's his journey from Jedi to Sith, really. And we also get some explanations of what happened to some other characters that were in the movies that then suddenly disappeared, and mm-hmm. we never saw them again. 
so like that. And then on Ahsoka, we, we, we see some stuff about her as well. Obviously, you know, Dave Filoni created Ahsoka. So that's his, that's his favorite character. And, and he always goes back to her and, and she's a wonderful character. She grew on me. I hated her in the beginning, which is what he intended. He wanted everybody to hate her. And then he gave her this just awesome story arc. And, uh, it's just really, it's just really good, and like I said, they're little they're little short stories, mm-hmm. glimpses into things that that happened, uh, and it goes right up into, um, and then a little bit past Order sixty six, yeah. So, well worth your time. Tales of the Jedi. It's not it's not what people thought when they first saw the logo. They thought it's, this was going to be the old comic, right? Oh. Uh, from Dark Horse, like they thought it was going to follow something like that, and maybe it will in the future. We don't know. But uh, this initial launch uh, was was very focused on Ahsoka and Dooku. So well worth your time. Nice. So Clay, how about you? How about me? Okay. So my my nerd media that I've been partaking obsessively over the last, I would say, month or so is, is World of Warcraft. I've been playing that pretty much nonstop. They just re-released a new expansion mm-hmm. uh, three or four weeks ago. And so I basically... Lich, Lich King? Yeah, rather the Lich King. Yeah. So that's been my full time job outside of my full time job is <laughs> nice. is is raiding with my guild in classic World of Warcraft. It's been it's been a blast. That is another area where if we had world enough in time, you and Patrick could do some serious bonding. Yes, um, that is a, well, a, a can, can of words and a half. It depends on his response to the following. For the Re- uh yes <laughs> and no. I'm currently playing Alliance, but uh probably eighty oh, percent of my 80% of my tunes are all Horde, so I decided to try something new. But I played Horde basically most of the time I played that game. I, I just told the story of uh, back in the day taking my troll hunter and running her across the world, running her through Molten Core, uh, running her you know, past everything, like just running, 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 running to get to where the dwarves spawn so I could get her a Snow Leopard. As oh, nice. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, I made, a, I made a troll hunter as well, so... As your leopard jumps into the window behind you, so yeah, oh, it's yes. perfect timing actually with the the, the, the semi, semi-feral house leopard. Um, it's interesting that that not only did they go with the classic WoW, but now they're also doing the classic expansions, right? That they're mm-hmm. rolling those out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a blast. I love it. Loved every minute of it. All right. Yeah, that's my suggestion. Pick of the week. Cool. Well, maybe this is a little bit on the nose because we're talking to Clay Harmon, whose book is, you know, we're dealing with with magma and lava cores and all sorts of uh, all sorts of seismic uh, activities and elemental events and so on. But um, Deirdre and I have been watching on Netflix season three of Flora's Lava, um, <laughs> and it is it continues to be astoundingly stupid, um, as is exactly its design you know it is it is teams of people who are being put into a room that's designed to probably wreck their kneecaps and tear their hamstrings uh as they're leaping from place to place um the 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 number of the changes that they put into place for season two with the mechanics of the different rooms and now there's these things called exit passes and there's a sort of elimination round and then this sort of final level that occurs on the the so-called roof of the lava flooded building um, all of those continue and are really satisfying and interesting to watch. And they seem to be getting 
way more on the nose with finding groups of people who have a shtick that sort of unites them together. Like we are all professional dancers and like we are all, you know, flight attendants or we're all members of a family who love chess. And, you know, they have like weird costumes they show up in. And it is um, an utterly unselfconscious giant dork fest of five episodes. Um and there's the unique pleasure, of course, of watching it with with my 11 year old daughter, Deirdre, who is equal parts fascination with slash contempt for the people playing. Um, not in a kind of like I could definitely do that better than they could. But there's definitely some armchair quarterbacking going in, which is hilarious. Like, so That's not how you do the monkey bars. You need to swing your legs more than that. Otherwise, your leg, your arms are just going to tire all out. Mom, why don't they know how to do the monkey bars? I'm like, sweetheart, they're they're old people. These are people who haven't tried the monkey bars in like 20 years. So they're they're past the monkey bars now. She's like, well, they're not going to get past the monkey bars. Um, so if, I guess if you have a, a middle school age kid in your life, they are the ideal partner to watch um, the the reign of terror that is Flora's Lava. I, I I remember so talking about Fresno. I went to I went to Saint Therese for for many years, a Catholic uh, parochial school, and on the playground they had monkey bars, but they also had swings, and the swings kind of faced the monkey bars, and mm. so the challenge that people did was you would swing on the swing and you had to get mm. high enough and then you would launch yourself to try and grab the oh and wow grab the monkey bars and how then many swing. torn rotator cuffs oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I, I, I was king of the playground that day. I did it. I swear to God, like 57% of childhood is just an ongoing exercise and weeding ourselves out of the gene pool. Like we just keep <laughs> attempting to destroy ourselves. And if we make it to the other side of childhood, we're like, well, now I'm allowed to exist. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, folks, um, we've had Clay Harmon with us here today. And, of course, you need to know where to find him, find Flames of Mira, and all cool related stuff. So, Clay, where should people be on the lookout? Uh, so, Flames of Mira is uh, available at your preferred retail outlet, uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's on audiobook as well, an ebook. Uh, as far as social media, where you can find me, I'm on Twitter at Clay Harmon, Roman numeral two. And then I recently made an Instagram account as well. And you can find me there at Clay Harmon author. Nice. And, and is the Instagram just going to be pictures of your cat? Um, no, but I need to, I need to work on that. Actually. It's There's probably just, an algorithm. It's mostly book content. Of cat. Yeah. I am, I'm very obsessed with my cat, so I need to it's, get more. I was just going to say, I mean, the, the fantasy author marketing plan is pictures of your cat. I mean, that's just how that goes. Yes, and my cat is currently trying to sabotage my microphone right now. Of course. He's uh, hiding behind my computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might need to end the interview before um, the, the, the cat takes it over, but thanks for being with us, Clay. Yeah, absolutely. It was my pleasure. Uh, it was really great talking to you. Holy crap. This year is just flying by, isn't it? Sheesh. As always, thank you for listening. Special shout out to our backers over on Patreon for putting up with all the shenanigans Tracy, totally Tracy, does over on our super secret private Facebook group. I mean, <laughs> she is just constantly posting stuff over there like, you know, articles, uh, movie and TV show trailers, even like daily music videos at this point. I mean, 
yeah, that's that's totally all Tracy. So <clears throat> thanks for uh, thanks for backing us. If you want to know what the hell I'm talking about, go check out patreon.com slash functional nerds and throw us a couple bucks. Then you will gain access to our super secret private Facebook group. Now, I will say you and I have to be friends on Facebook in order for me to invite you. It's a Facebook thing. It's weird. So there is a process. But still, uh, it would be really cool if you backed us and then, you know, joined us over there. Anyway, Robert and Todd, they totally promised us they would do this spinning sign thing on their street corners to drum up some listeners. And to date, they haven't actually followed through. So if you could go give us some stars on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you're going to, to find us and listen, that would be awesome. We'll, we'll work on the spinning sign thing with Robert and Todd as maybe sort of a holiday push. I can see them now, dressed as elves. And not the cool ones from Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Canoli Joe said he might, might consider some sort of social media campaign around the poodles for, you know, the upcoming Hugo season. Cough. Before I forget, Beyond the Trope hit 400 episodes recently. That's pretty cool. Giles and Michelle were very, very properly excited about this. 400 is a huge milestone for a podcast. To celebrate, why not go check them out at beyondthetrope.com. They put out a new episode every Tuesday talking with writers, artists, and creatives from all over the place. And that 400th episode was pretty cool. So again, check them out over at beyondthetrope.com. Now, I'm sure that this is the point where I would normally have some more uh, stuff to kind of say, things to tease our backers with, but I totally forgot to write it, so... Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've, if you've never listened to the podcast, there, there's, there's two different styles here. There's, there's Tracy, who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions. And then, oh, squirrel. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.